to revisit it. So we're going to be talking about the absolute necessity of just judges. And, uh, and we're going to see in the 82nd Psalm how it is that, uh, that God views this as an absolute necessity as well. And so uh, starting with the first verse, Psalm 82, this is a psalm of Asaph who was the recorder. Uh, he was the one who I consider him to be the Rick Williams of his day, right? He was the one who led the singing, who conducted the singing, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so starting with the first verse, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in dark they walk on in darkness all the foundations of the earth are out of course I have said ye are gods all of you are ch- are children of the most high but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes arise o god judge the earth for thou shalt inherit all nations and I, that's the entirety of the 82nd Psalm. Once again, the, te- the, the thought that we would like to take for this morning is the absolute necessity of just judges. And so in this psalm, it starts out uh, with the, the author saying, and now there's some dispute about, uh, about what this is referencing, but no doubt uh, one of the things that we have to say is this is, a, this is a psalm that was put together that was intended to be uh, proclaimed publicly in in worship, so that not only the, the those that are in attendance and that are, are maybe hearing the singing, now those partaking of the singing, um, but that everybody can understand where it is that God lives uh, among His people. And, and now we know that God inherits eternity. That that's the that's or inhabits eternity. That's where God lives. That's where He resides. Now He also resides in the heart of everyone who has been saved. But here He's talking about something something different. He says God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. Um, and now what? Now we have to stop and we have to ask the question here, don't we? Is what's this congregation that He's standing amid? Now, normally we would say that if, if, if the Bible says God's standing in and amongst a congregation, it's going to be in and amongst a congregation of saints, right? Because God dwells with his people. He dwells in and with his people. Then it goes on and it says, this, and this, is, this, this should throw us off a little bit. At least for me it throws us off. It says, he judgeth among the gods. Now, it, there is no God before God, right? There is no God before Jehovah Elohim, who is the Lord God. Uh, and, uh, and so that is the true and the living God. So before him there are no gods, but here he says, he judgeth among the gods. And that word that's, trans, that's translated as gods 
is Elohim. So when you say, when you're talking about the true and the living God, when you're talking about the Lord God, you're talking about Jehovah Elohim. And Elohim is plural. It's a plural word. And so, uh, in my opinion, when you're referring to the true and the living God, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. The three are one, and the one are three. But he says he judgeth among God. Now, none of us that sits in this room consider ourselves gods, do we? I certainly don't. And I don't think anybody else does. But I want you to understand something here this morning. When he says he judgeth among the gods, he does not mean images that are constructed out of gold like a calf or images that are constructed out of stone or wood. He does not he is not talking about a grove of trees. He he is not talking about an altar to a false god. He's talking about when he says he judges among gods, he's talking about people. The first place where he shows this uh, to us is in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, this was the seventh plague. God is about to visit the land of Egypt and he's about to judge the land of Egypt. We know what the, we know what the sentence was, don't we? I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I'm going to send the death angel in, and that's what's going to happen. But remember, uh, the thing that caused the death angel to pass over the house was when he saw the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost and the lintel of the door. Uh, that, when upon the the seeing the application of that blood, it would pass over that house, and nobody in that house would die. They would all be saved. That's when they were saved in the land of Egypt. They weren't saved because they walked through the Red Sea. They were saved by the power of the blood. Now that blood is typical. Or, and it is typical, or atypical, I guess, or antitype. Uh, it, it is the antitype of the true blood, uh, that really, uh, absolves men of their sin debt because we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And that Jesus, uh, the blood that he shed there on the cross at Calvary was the blood that tasted death for all of humanity that everybody would have the opportunity both to the Jew first also to the Greek or the Gentile um, that after that, that would come afterward uh, that everybody would have uh, the ability to access salvation through the death of Jesus Christ but here in the land of Egypt we're talking about God's and he says, I'm going to smite the firstborn of, uh, of uh, every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And then he says this in the 12th verse, he says, against all the gods of Egypt. Now there were a lot of gods in Egypt. There was Ra. There was Isis. 
there was Horus and a plethora of other gods that they worshipped in the land of Egypt. Those are not the gods that he's talking about. Those are not the gods that he's judged as worthy of the severe judgment that he's rendered toward the land of Egypt. He says, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Now one day the world will stand judged, won't it? The world will be judged and it will be tried by fire. And Peter said that the world will melt with a fervent heat. The elements of the world will melt with a fervent heat. Here he says against all the gods, that word that is interpreted there, gods, or or is translated as gods, again we find that word to be the same word that is used in the 82nd Psalm uh, when God said that he stands amongst the congregation of the mighty and that he judges among the gods. Uh, And then in the 6th verse of the 82nd uh, uh, 82nd, uh, Psalm, he, he says, Ye are gods, uh, and here uh, he says that it is amongst the Elohim, the Elohim of Israel, the gods of Israel, I will execute judgment. God judges men, doesn't he? And you may be here this morning and you may think everything's fine, but God judges men. And Jesus Christ, when He was in the earth, uh, he, uh, uh, he made this statement that He did not come to condemn, but He came to save. Why is that? Because the world is condemned already. It's judged already, folks. And if you don't know the Lord, you're part of that judgment, aren't you? You will reap the rewards of that judgment. And be cast into the lake of fire. Unless you are born from above. So he says, ye are gods. And here in Egypt he says that it's against the gods of Egypt that I'll execute my judgment. Now we go over in the 18th chapter of Exodus and we read about this. We read Moses is sitting here before the people. In chapter 18, verse 13, Moses is sitting before the people and the Bible tells us that he's judging the people. And Moses stood by from morning until evening judging the people. This is why Jesus Christ, when he was in the world, he made this statement. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 2, he says this saying about the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, they sit in Moses' seat. Why do they sit in Moses' seat? Because they judge the people. They judge the people. Now, Let's, let's touch on this uh, back over in the 82nd. Let's touch on this in the 82nd Psalm again here real quick. Real quick, the 82nd Psalm in the 6th verse uh, where, Jesus, where it says, I have said ye are gods. Now Jesus uses this verse in the 10th chapter of Matthew. We're going to touch on that in a little bit. But Jesus uses this verse where he says, Is it not written in the law that I said ye are gods? Now where is it written in the law? Does the law only consist of the first five books of the Old Testament? No. 
No. The law does not only consist of the first five books of the Old Testament. The Jews in that day and still today view the, view the entirety of the Old Testament to be the law in three parts. There's the law, which is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Then there's the prophets. And then there's the hagiographa, which includes the book of the Psalms. It includes Ruth. It includes Ecclesiastes. It includes Chronicles. It includes all the other books of the Old Testament. They're included in the hagiographa. And so in the law it is written, God has declared and said, Ye are God's. Now I do want to say that it is it is written in the old in the law too. It's written in the books of the law. It's written in the twenty first chapter of the book of Exodus, and, and we read about this. Uh, and it says, "And then his master shall say unto him, uh, or his, then his master shall bring him unto the judges." Right. This is the man to whom it has been told um, that he is free, uh, but his but his wife and his children are not. Uh, and instead of going out freely uh, and living his life as a freed man, uh, he would rather stay behind and continue to be a servant because he loved his master. Because he loved his wife and because he loved his children. In that order. And you know, that's the proper order, isn't it? Uh, every one of us here today is nothing more than a servant bought with a price. I, I tried to preach that last week, but we're a servant bought with a price. That price was the precious blood of the, of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, and that price that He purchased our blood with does not make us free like we think of it as make us free. But what it does is it gives us a master uh, that that gives us the liberty, doesn't it, to be free in His name. But we still answer to Him, doesn't He? Don't we? He's still our judge. And He always will be. And we'll stand before Him one day at the judgment bar of Christ uh, and He will look upon us and you know, the only thing He'll see when He sees His own is the first thing you will see is He'll see the blood. Amen? He'll see the blood that was applied by the Holy Spirit of God uh, that absolves us of our sin debt. And the second thing that He'll see uh, is the thing that makes Him qualified to enter into heaven. Uh, and that thing is is not our righteousness. It's His righteousness. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. He'll see that and He will judge in a just manner, won't He? And He will say, Come and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to what this says. And he'll bring him to the judges. That word there that's interpreted as judges is Elohim. The same word that's interpreted as God's is interpreted as judges here. So you see this word, it does when it's talked about in the superlative sense, reference God, the Almighty God, uh, the Lord God, the true and the living God. But when it's referenced in the inferior, 
It means judges. It means civil magistrates. We call those politicians nowadays, don't we? In some sense. Let let me just touch on this. Rulers and judges. That's who it is. He said, you are gods. Now, we we think about that, what happened with Moses. When Moses sat judging the people, Moses' father-in-law, this has just always been a section of Scripture that's always struck me, and it has always stayed with me. Moses' father-in-law sitting there judging the people uh, day and night, uh, and uh, and his father-in-law comes and he makes the uh, the obs- the observation and he says this thing you do is not good because either you'll waste away or the people will waste away and utterly everything will be undone uh, and so he gives the admission or he gives the advice I guess you could say he gives the advice that he should set up judges of thousands judges of hundreds judges of fifties and judges of ten and Moses uh, Moses did that because the Lord put his stamp of approval on it and then in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 16 we see where where Moses gives those judges a charge he says this he says and I charged your judges at that time saying hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man his brother and the stranger that is with him you shall not respect persons in judgment but you shall hear the small as well as the great you shall not be afraid of the face of man for, ju- for the judgment. Listen to this. Listen to what Moses told those judges he put up. For the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me and I'll hear it. Moses was the Supreme Court, wasn't he? To put it in our sense. Moses was the Supreme Court. All those other justices, they were the, the civil and the circuit courts and the, and the district courts. And, and they all worked their way up as the case got more, uh, more uh, uh, intense, I guess I should say. Or as it got more difficult. Casey could probably stand up and talk about this a lot better than I could, being a paralegal. But, but she, could, she could probably explain it a lot better. But everything would funnel up eventually. If it was too hard for all the other judges, that's when Moses would hear it. Same system that we have set up in this country. And it's very important that we have it. And and I want to try to illustrate why. It's not just important for us, it's important to God. That's what I want you to understand. If we go back and we look at uh, at, at the 82nd Psalm, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, and he judgeth among gods. He asks this question, doesn't he? How long, and he's asking this question to those judges, right? How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Doesn't that not go against what Moses just gave the charge to the judges for? They're doing the exact same thing that they were commanded not to do. Uh, Rather, he implores them to do this. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Uh, Folks, we do the same things in the church, don't we? We shouldn't be respecters of persons in the church. James says that if you show respect to persons, you commit sin. Uh, And so uh, we shouldn't be worried about uh, somebody's financial 
financial state or, or whatever else it may be. We shouldn't be worried about how attractive one may be over another. Those things don't matter. They're temporal things. Eventually they'll all fade away. All that material stuff that you may gain over the course of the coming next few days, uh, you're not taking any of that with you to heaven. But your soul is going to end up in one place or another. And the question is, is when you stand before the judge, who judges in righteousness, by the way, and we're going to touch on that in just a minute, when you stand before the judge, are you going to, are you going to, have, a, are you going to have the greatest defender that humanity's ever known? Who's also the judge, by the way. <laughs> so the fix is in in that in that court case, isn't it? When the when the when the defending attorney is also the judge, then you pretty much know how the ruling is going to go down. Uh, but if you stand there before the judge and he's not the one pleading your case, and as a matter of fact. Nobody showed up to plead your case, but instead you've been left to defend yourself. You know, ignorance of the law does not make you exempt from the law. And so here you are all alone, standing there before the righteous judge and, and, and trying to find a way to plead your cause somehow that you don't deserve the judgment that is, that is reserved for the wicked. You got no shot. You've got no shot. You can't argue the case law because, number one, you don't know the case law. The case law is found in these books. You don't know it. That's why we're supposed to study it, is so that we can point people to the righteous judge. And when men judge unrighteously in this world, we can point to them and we can give them the admonition that Jehoshaphat gave because it's in Jehoshaphat's day that they think that this thing was written, possibly. But there's, there's, there, but we're going to talk about in just a second how there's obviously some people think that um, that the Lord or that the author of this was under the influence of the Spirit and, and that it was more prophetic than it was than just looking forward to Jehoshaphat's day or maybe looking behind to Jehoshaphat's day but I think it would have been before because Asaph was alive in the time of David and so we look at this and we go over to the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles actually and we look in the 19th chapter actually before we do that well, no, let's go ahead and go here, Second Chronicles we're in chapter 19, we're going to look at the 5th through the 7th verses and it says and he set judges in the land throughout all the fenced or fortified cities of Judah that being Jehoshaphat city by city, you know what Jehoshaphat did when he became king the, the judges in Israel were, or in Judah were so corrupt, they were so useless that Jehoshaphat replaced all of them. And he put new judges in. Judges that would judge according to the way that Moses had had proclaimed. Remember, they, they had found the book of the law and had had it read. He says this to the judges. Listen to what, listen to what Jehoshaphat says to the judges in 2 Chronicles. He says, take heed what ye do. I, I think that, that that verse of Scripture there, or that part of that verse of Scripture there, I believe that's an admonition to those that he's now placed in the positions to judge the people. I believe it's an admonition for them. Number one, don't take your job lightly. It's very serious what you do. Number two, judge your personal life very rigorously because you're going to be standing before the people judging the people. Man, it looks really bad on a judge, doesn't it? 
when you find out a judge is on the take and he's been standing he's been sitting on the bench issuing rulings that are unjust well that's a really bad look on a judge you can't in my opinion a judge can't recover from that the only recovery from that is you have to be removed from the bench Folks, there's a judge that will never be removed from the bench. (laughs) He'll never be removed from the bench. He'll judge the world till the world doesn't exist anymore. And and then, uh, at that final judgment, it's all going to be done. Uh, And then he he won't be a judge anymore. He's just going to be a king, isn't he? He's just going to rule upon, he's just going to be worshipped by his people. He's a righteous judge. He, uh, Jehoshaphat says this. He says, for ye, Judge not for man. Have you ever thought about this? Why is this not taught in law school? Right? That if you're going to set and you're going to render judgment, you're not doing it for man. That's not your job. Remember, remember when we read in the 12th chapter of Exodus, right? That in that 12th verse, God said, I judge among the gods of Egypt. And I execute judgment. Then we fast forward to the 18th chapter and there is Moses sitting in the judgment seat, isn't he? Sitting in the judgment seat of God. The judgment seat of Christ. And now we find ourselves here. And Jehoshaphat feels need to remind those judges, you don't judge for man, you judge, you judge for the Lord. You judge for Jehovah. You judge for Yahweh. That's when you judge, you are but you are to judge righteously. Because that's who you work for. Yeah, you may work for some country. Uh, uh, you, you may have a country's name on, uh, uh, on your legal certificate uh, that, that sworn you in as a judge, but your job and your obligation and your oath is to the Lord because He said, I. He said, I. That's who He's talking about when He said, I stand in the congregation of the mighty and judge among the gods. It's because of their elevated stature. Their elevated stature. Their elevated position in society. People look up at you and they look at you and they expect you to behave righteously and to rule righteously and to judge righteously. And, and But we know that this is not a righteous world, don't we? The, the, if, we if 2020 hasn't reminded us of anything at all, it should have reminded us of this. There's no righteousness to be found in this world. If we're going to find any righteousness, we're going to find it in God or we won't find it at all. He says this, You judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in judgment. When you render that judgment, I'm right there. And if you issue that judgment in unrighteousness, guess what? I'm right there. And I'm taking account of it. 
Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. That is upon the judges that He appointed. Let the fear of God be upon you. That that should govern every one of our lives. We would all take heed, wouldn't we? Uh, Like He told them to do initially, we would take heed what we do if the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, He says. For there, now listen to this. There is no iniquity. We know this, don't we? There is no iniquity with the Lord our God. Uh, the people that want to argue that Jesus was in, was not impeccable, but that he was peccable, they need only come here and, and read the words of Jehoshaphat where he says there is no iniquity in, with the Lord our God. Nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. That's donations, folks. You know, that's what rules and judges, and that's what—that's how our political system runs now, is by bribe, essentially. We call it donations, political donations, but if you actually look at that word, it means donations. It's interpreted gifts or presents a lot of times. Here it's interpreted gifts, but it means a bribe. Now, how important is the judge is a judge to a nation? Have you ever thought about that? How important are judges to a nation? I want to show you how important they are. Over in 1 Samuel, we're going to read about how important judges are to a nation. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to look at the first five verses. We're going to read, we know, now I'm going to give you a little backdrop. Before Samuel was, was, was raised and was a man and had his own kids, Eli was the, was the judge of Israel. His sons, <laughs> Hophni and Phinehas, horrible. <laughs> horrible judges. They were so bad that the only one worse than them was Eli because he would not correct his sons. God removed Eli from being judged and he removed his whole house from ever being considered for being a judge again and he actually removed all the wealth from his family because of the way that his sons uh, judged. They would lie with the women who would come to the, to come, that would come to present themselves to be judged. That means exactly what you think it means. He says, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now look, folks, when Israel was first established after it came out of Egypt, we know this, that that Moses was over, uh, was the judge. Aaron was the high priest. When Moses died, Joshua took his place as judge. And you know judge is only mentioned in any capacity in the book of Joshua three times. And it's never in a negative light. But here we see that Samuel has made his sons judges over Israel. Now how important are righteous judges to to a nation? The first door, the, the name of the firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. His sons walked not in his ways. He and Eli had something in common, didn't he? But they turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. 
Listen to how important this is to a nation. That a nation has just judges. It's absolute necessity that a nation has just judges. Upon the, upon the appointment of his sons as judges and, and how they had carried themselves in taking bribes and perverting judgment by, going, by chasing after filthy lucre. In the fourth verse, Then all the elders gathered themselves together and came unto Samuel to Ramah. Now I want you to think about this. Why did they come? To, why did all the elder, elders gather themselves together and come to Samuel and Ramah? Because of the behavior of his sons. What form of government did they have before? Bef, what form of government did they have then? They had a theocracy, didn't they? God was the king. God was the chief lawgiver, and there was none other beside God, and that's why he would appoint judges to rule, didn't he? To rule over the people, and the judges were to rule righteously. But all we got to do is go through the book of Judges and see that, you know, obviously judges didn't rule righteously, but God gave them a period of time, didn't he? We get to the book of Samuel, and it's not God's long-suffering that has run out. It's the people's. God's long-suffering is still present. The people's long-suffering, though, people don't have very much long-suffering, do they? That's why it's important that we be long-suffering. You know, if we're long-suffering, we're not like the world. Listen to what they told him. He says, they said, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now... Make us a king. I want you to understand something. They didn't say make us a king to rule over us like all the other nations. They said now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Shafat to judge they said this form of government that we have been existing under, under has become intolerable. Why? Because we remember Hophni and Phineas, and your sons are just like they are, and we're tired of this system of government, and we want a new one. You tell me that a righteous judge or a just judge isn't vitally important to a nation and I will point you to the book of 1 Samuel and say, yes, they are. Yes, they are. John chapter 10. I believe we see the fulfillment of what's written in the 82nd Psalm. And I'm going I'm to close with this point. I've already touched on Matthew 23 and 2, how Jesus said that the scribes and the, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. The reason that they did was because they were the ones that judged the people. They judged the people. Of the scribes and the Pharisees, he, he called their form of doctrine, their leaven, hypocrisy. In other words, they said one thing and they would do another. He said, whatever they say, observe and do, 
Whatever they say, but after their ways, observe not. Now, I'm paraphrasing that one. In the 10th chapter of John, Jesus opens up, uh, and it is is an explanation, if you would, to say, uh, of Jesus being the Son of God. And the door to the to the sheepfold, and because he had, he had he had called himself the Son of God, uh, the Jews it says here, but I believe it's easy to say that it's the scribes and the Pharisees, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, took up stones again to stone him. Folks, the reason I say I believe it was the scribes and the Pharisees is because with whatever judge you judge. Whatever judge you use, that judgment you will also be judged by. By the, verb, by, the, by the mere fact that they took up the stones, they had to be present because they had to consider, they, they had to condemn him as guilty and worthy of death. And so he says here, and they take up stones against him in the 31st verse. And Jesus asks them a question. He says, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered and said, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods, because you are judging me. And when I say judge, I don't mean what, you know, your behavior is wrong. I mean, they've tried him, they have condemned him, and they have found him to be worthy of death. Or punishment. If we go back over here, Jesus tells us we 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 know why that they they did that in the fifth verse of the eighty second psalm. Because they know not, neither they understand. Isn't that what Jesus said? They came to him and they said, Stop all the games. Tell us plainly, if you're the Christ, tell us you're the Christ. Jesus said, I have told you, but you believe not. Because you're not of my father. And you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and and they know it. And they follow after it. And I'm paraphrasing all that. He says, they, why is it that they did that? Because they know not, neither neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are out of course. But listen to what he said to them. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And then what does it say? Arise, O God. Judge the earth. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord in the free pardon forgiveness of sin, there's a day coming. 
Right now, we know we have the picture, the illustration of Jesus having ascended back to heaven and He has sat down at the right hand of God being elevated for all the world to see by God. And that, that was because He would have all men to come to know the knowledge, come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ is the way of, of salvation. That's the only way you're ever going to get saved is through Him because as he said in the 10th chapter of John, I am the door to the sheepfold. Folks, he's not going to knock on your heart uh, if you're not one of his children. You better walk up to that door and you better start banging on that door because I want to tell you something here this morning. Your life depends on it. It depends on it. It, it, it is going to be the determining factor of the attitude of the judge when you stand before him. At the judgment bar of Christ. And the judges that exist in this world, I wish they knew. And I hope they know that in the office that they occupy, the real holder of that office is going to come one day. And if they have not treated that office with the respect that God envisioned, they will also be held to account above and beyond that of what is just required of all men because God stands in the congregation of the mighty and He judges among the gods. That's my message this morning. He had to come into the world and be born that He could die that He could come back and judge the world in righteousness. Jesus Christ is not coming back King. He is King already. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's coming back to judge the world in righteousness. Will you be ready? There's the question. Will you be prepared to stand before the judge? Will you have the proper defense attorney? Because if you don't have the proper one, you're not going to have one at all. Sister Casey can't do a whole lot of good for you as a paralegal when you don't even have an attorney to represent you. That's my message this morning. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.